Welcome to Table Talk, the podcast that takes an in-depth look at the dynamic and exciting restaurant world. We sit down with industry leaders as they share best practices, highlight smart solutions, and discuss strategies for growth, ultimately helping food service operators learn how to affect positive change and grow their business. Now, here is your host, editor and publisher of Food Service and Hospitality Magazine, Rosanna Kyra. Today on Table Talk, I'm joined by three food service industry leaders. First off, let me introduce Donna Dewar, chef and restaurateur and owner of Mildred's Temple Kitchen. Donna and her partner, Kevin Gallagher, opened the beloved Mildred Pierce restaurant in the city's West End Warehouse District years ago before moving to the heart of Toronto's Liberty Village with Mildred's Temple Kitchen, where she reflects her commitment for the return to the table and her passion for locally sourced seasonal ingredients, simply and sumptuously prepared. Donna also created the Cookworks Cooking Studio, which parlayed into a popular Food Network show called The Cookworks with Donna Dewar, watched by fans around the world discovering their love of food in their own kitchens. Donna is actively involved in Canada's hospitality community, and she's a self-proclaimed fork hugger love that, dedicated to supporting Ontario farmers and local agriculture. Donna has also served as the National Chair of Taste Canada, the Chair of the Board of Directors and CEO of Restaurants Canada, Co-Chair of the Yes Chef fundraising campaign at George Brown College, and she's worked extensively with Brand Canada to promote Canadian hospitality around the globe. Next, we have Patrick Sauret, owner of the Mark Restaurant Group in Edmonton, Alberta. Patrick runs several go-to restaurants and is the founder of the Mark Restaurant Group Limited in Edmonton. He brings several decades of experience developing and growing independent restaurants. As an advocate for the industry, he feels restaurants feed the soul of our country. This experience, passion and leadership style have made him a sought after industry expert nationally by industry and supplier partners. Patrick is also past chairman for the board of Restaurants Canada, and he's participated on the Executive and Downtown Business Association in Edmonton. And last but not least, we have Carl Heinrich, executive chef and co-owner of Richmond Station in Toronto. Carl was born in Calgary, Alberta, and he's been raised across Canada. He started in restaurants when he was 13, which is hard to believe. You started very young, Carl, and he studied at the Stratford Chef School, graduating with honors in 2005. After chef school, he worked with Daniel Boulou in both New York City and Vancouver from 2005 to 2009. And he completed stages during that time in many Michelin star uh, race restaurants, including uh, Le Louis Cannes in Monaco, Georges Blanc in France, and Gramercy Tavern in New York City. Carlo was chef de cuisine at Cowbell and Marbin, both in Toronto before opening Richmond Station in 2012. He's a winner of the Food Network's Top Chef Canada season number two, and he was also recipient of our own Pinnacle Award for Chef of the Year a few years ago. Uh, Carl's cuisine is inspired by quality local ingredients and it's driven by technique. He makes food that he knows his mom would like to eat and keeps flavors pure. Always good to keep your mother satisfied, I say. 
So good morning, everybody, and, and a big thank you to all of you from joining us um, this morning on this sunny, brisk Toronto day. I, I don't know. I know, Patrick, you're joining us from Edmonton. I don't know um, how balmy the weather is out there today. Frigid. It is frigid. Let me tell you, <laughs> the sun is coming up. It's going to be blue sky, but goodness sakes, it's chilly. I'm sure it is. We complain in Toronto, but it's nothing compared to what you have in Edmonton. So, um, so thanks again for being here today. I know everybody has so much on their plate uh, living through this pandemic and um, the stress levels are, I'm sure, high for everybody these days. So I really appreciate you being here. I, I thought before we get into a lot of topics, um, you know, COVID related and industry related, I thought perhaps we could just start a little bit with your own backgrounds. Obviously, I touched on some of those areas in, in the bio introduction, but um, Maybe just tell us a little bit about your own company and where you're at today. I know you've got lots of industry experience, but uh, I want to make sure our listeners know every aspect of your business in terms of what you run, whether it's just one restaurant or, or several. So Donna, um, maybe we could start with you. Um, obviously, you've got a lot of industry experience. And, and these days, I, I know you're at Mildred's Temple, but tell us a little bit about that. Oh, where to start? Yeah, well, I, I probably have uh, been in the business longer than everyone around this table. <laughs> uh, so I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> I think it's good. Uh, so right now, we are just running a one restaurant operation, and that's Mildred's Temple Kitchen in Liberty Village. And, you know, I, I have to say, Rosanna, prior to the pandemic taking hold, I was actually working on my exit strategy from oh. the industry. And, and I don't mean exit in the fact that, oh, we're going to shut the restaurant down and walk away and say, hey, we're done. But in terms of how I was going to uh, leave this project, uh, grow it, sell it up, uh, repackage it, you know, these were all the options we were looking at even so far as bringing our uh, management team in and, and perhaps shareholding with them. Uh, so that was a pretty, you know, big activity around the restaurant. Sure. My, my husband and my partner, Kevin, is, is out of the restaurant altogether now. So, you know, I, I'm, it's time. It's time to let guys like Carl <laughs> and you too, Patrick, uh, you know, step up and innovate and take over. And I uh, figure at 40 years in the business, it's long enough. So, you know, that obviously changed with the pandemic. And now I find myself uh, back in the business. I mean, seriously, like with a chef's coat on, <laughs> sleeves rolled up and right. working shoulder to shoulder distanced with the team. So it's, it's, a, real, it's a real shift for me personally. I am enjoying it. It's hard work. And uh, it's just, you know, rethinking the whole, re-unpacking uh, that suitcase yet again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a lot of work, but I'm sure for someone who loves the industry, like you said, you're enjoying it. And I'm sure it probably creates and taps into a lot of areas that perhaps you hadn't thought about at this stage. So, yeah, sure. so that's great. Um, Patrick, from, from your end, tell us a little bit about your restaurant group. Certainly. Well, um, you know, I guess my wife and I are Bistro in Edmonton, and uh, at this particular juncture, I'm really happy that we only have one restaurant because I just can't imagine. You know, none of us at this table are afraid of work or hard work, and that's pretty evident in, in our roles and what why we 
maybe one of the reasons that we got into this industry and survived is because we're not afraid of work. Um, and I, too, much like many of the folks at this table, uh, have been in the industry since I was a teenager. And uh, maybe, like many, started off as a dishwasher and just fell in love with it. it was just uh, to, to borrow a word of from Do from uh, Donna, I'm smitten with it. I just I I love the people and and um, but I'm I'm also a very much uh, the front end, uh, not working in the kitchen. We work with different philosophies. We work with different people, and I think that's where my skill level in the restaurant group that we work with here uh, really shines, and that's in in the leadership and uh, both locally uh, and nationally, but. Uh, this restaurant is uh, uh, an awful lot of fun in downtown Edmonton. Some of the history in the downtown uh, core, I've always sort of been in this area. We operated uh, a little Italian restaurant for about 15 years as well called Il Portico. And, uh, and, and you know, that left just an indelible mark on the city. And that's why when I look over my shoulder of that restaurant, uh, one of the reasons that uh, I, I just love this industry is that, you know, people continue to come in uh, to the restaurant and say, you know, we really love this restaurant, but gosh, that, we really miss that table at uh, at Il Portico, and uh, those are the types of stories that just keep me get coming back every day. It's really incredible how passion always comes out in this industry, isn't it? Uh, I mean, you can't really escape it. And, and starting so young, like both you and Carl were so young, that's that's pretty amazing how it gets into your blood and really keeps you there. Um, so, Carl, tell us a little bit about Richmond Station. Obviously, if you're in Toronto, you know it very well, but our listeners are from everywhere. So perhaps you can just touch on that a bit. Hey, Rosanna. Thanks. And, and thanks for all the continuous uh, work that you do for this industry and, and for us. And uh, uh, I, I always just adore you and the work that you do. So I appreciate you. Um, oh, thank you so much. <laughs> uh, well, Richmond Station is eight years old now. Um, it's hard to believe for me. I know, Donna, you're laughing at that, but uh, <laughs> you know, for feels like a long time. Um, and uh, I think like everybody around this table, uh, this past year has been been quite a ride. Um, but previous to that, we were we were riding a great, great wave. Um, we were we were busy, we were having fun and we were doing some really great work, not just in the restaurants. Uh, I mean, we always been really passionate about serving really delicious food and making sure that everybody has a great time. Um, but also working on a lot of, a lot of issues across our industry. We, we, um, we got rid of tipping in our restaurant last year. We, we transitioned um, all of our uh, livestock to organic grass fed in the past year. So there's, there's a lot of work that we've done uh, around our restaurant that doesn't just include putting food on a plate uh, or in this case, in a takeout box. Um, but, you know, in short, we, we have a lot of fun. We really enjoy what we're doing. I really enjoy what, what I'm doing. Uh, I've got two young kids at home now too. And uh, more than ever, life balance is, is, is front and center for me too. So, um, you know, like I said, it's just what a ride right now. Yeah, that's, that's one way of looking at it, a ride. <laughs> so, so let's talk a little bit about that, because obviously we can't have any conversation these days without touching on COVID. Um, what has life during this pandemic looked like for you specifically? And, you know, both from a personal point of view, but also obviously from the business perspective, uh, I know it's affected everybody's life in some shape or form. So, so Donna, what has this past year looked like for you? I, I know you alluded a little bit to you were getting, trying to step away and now you're back in, but beyond that, what does it look like? 
Well, you know, I think the I, I think there are a lot of good things that will come out of this. It's a hard way to learn the the lessons that that needed to be learned. And I think, you know, I, I look at uh, a, a young operator like Carl. <laughs> Eight years is nothing. <laughs> uh, eight years is when you start to think about renovating your dining room, right, Patrick? So that's kind of the window. They say eight to ten years. You got yes. any money you made, you've got to now reinvest in, in <laughs> the decor. Uh, but I, I look at the innovation that's coming out of, uh, especially with the young operators, things that you know I I wouldn't have thought of. Like I love the program that Carl has with his with his butchery program. For example, you know, my kids introduced me to that. I was like, what do you mean you want me to go pick up meat at Richmond Station <laughs> in the early days? Um, so I, I think that the pandemic has, has brought a lot to light that doesn't work well in our industry. And that's hard. That, that on top of trying to run the business through all of this, now we're trying to navigate through, through many of those issues and the hard stuff is hard, as they say, and we're going through the hard stuff. But I do see that light at the end of the tunnel. And I think we're going to come out of this a, a better industry for it in the end. So when the pandemic hit as an example, um, did you have to basically shut down right away your, your restaurant? And, and did you have to lay everybody off? What were the specifics of that well, uh, first few weeks? Yeah, I mean, I think like everyone, we were all you know, had sort of stars in our eyes that two weeks we'd close and we'd open up again. Uh, but we have, uh, we had a couple of uh, students who were culinary students from China who were working in our kitchen, who had gone home at Christmas time to be with their families and actually got stuck over there and couldn't oh. come back. So we were getting, you know, word from them that, hey, this is, this is serious. Like you guys should be paying attention. And the week before we were mandated to close, uh, the, the lockdown was put in place. I remember going into the restaurant and thinking, uh, because our restaurant works on high volume and we have, as you know, lineups, packed bar, uh, packed dining room, uh, serving 500 covers at brunch is pretty intense. And I looked around and I thought, we, we need to close now. So we actually closed prior to the mandate. Oh, interesting. And, um, but again, I thought, okay, two weeks, maybe a month, and we'll close. Uh, Patrick and I had a, a few discussions about, uh, you know, what, are you going to pivot to takeout? What are you going to do? I, of course, dug my heels in and said, no, no, we're not a takeout restaurant. Not, no way. But of course, we we are a takeout restaurant, and it's right. now ten months later. So, yeah, it was. Uh, I, I mean, it seems like a lifetime ago, and I. I've lived through a lot in this industry, recessions, SARS, 9-11. I've seen it. I thought I'd seen it all, but this takes the cake for sure. Yeah, this, this doesn't compare to anything the industry oh. has ever gone through. Yeah. No, def de definitely a difficult time. Patrick, uh, from your perspective, did you um, automatically shut down those restaurants as well? And did you pivot? What happened? So uh, March 17th, the Ides of March is when we shut her down. We looked at each other in total disbelief. Again, not really knowing what was around the corner. Um, you know, we we took buckets of food to different charities. We got rid of inventory. We started selling down inventory. We were in a bit of a different situation because our our lease was coming due, and so we had very interesting conversation. A lot of existential angst going on. <laughs> we want to continue. So after about a week or so, 
uh, my father called me up and he said, how are you doing? And he listened to me rant and stomp and swear and, and, and be confused. And after about a half an hour conversation, uh, he said, well, you know, I don't really know what to say. I don't really know what to do. But what I do know is that in times like these, there's nothing but opportunity. All you need to do is know where to look. And those words really struck me for some reason. It's not like I hadn't heard them before, uh, but I took that and I sort of said, okay, let's move along. Let's, 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 let's make the best of this. And we really have. And, you know, I think there's buzzwords that people have used right away. It's the gratitude, it's the rebalancing, it's the, you know, once you dust off and, and, and pick off the, the, the dried blood off your skin, um, you, know, you can really do some great things. Um, I, we took a pause. We actually waited for two weeks before actually doing any uh, curbside or retooling any menus for takeaway. Uh, we, we learned from other folks in the community and uh, we let them uh, burn their uh, adrenaline. You could see it wear on them. Years uh, mm -hmm. we came up, excuse me, after a couple of weeks, we came up with a really cool package of food that was uh, brand on specific, uh, traveled very well. We were thoughtful of the, of the, the, um, of the containers. Uh, we built out a little bit of a e-com on the back of our website. So, you know, we, 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 we reacted pretty quickly, but I think we were thorough in our uh, approach to things. So I'm very proud of that. Uh, and very proud of the creativity that we were able to elicit in the kitchen. And I think it really showed. Uh, one of the other things that we did quite well is uh, pivot to uh, meal kits. And, um, you know, it was a suggestion from a colleague. And I said, wow, this is a cool idea. And so we threw in a Zoom meeting. We, you know, we had this culture of uh, 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 wine clubs and uh, Sunday. Mm -hmm. And we packaged some wine and food and did a, a bit of, and our first one was actually on Easter. And the first response was, that was incredible. You made our Easter. It was an event that uh, we needed at this time. So I think that's what we've been trying to do all along this way is try to identify where we can design hospitality to meet our consumers' expectations. We don't take it for granted. Yes, they're here to support us and to help us and to love us, but you still got to give them a reason and you got to stay positive. So it sounded, it sounds like, you know, having that little bit of a pause in the beginning where you kind of watched what was evolving with the market actually helped you focus in on what you wanted to do, which I think I saw a lot of restaurants doing in those early days. They just didn't want to jump right in too quickly. So I, I think that's very interesting. I also think it's interesting that so many restaurants pivoted to meal kits where you're now giving up your recipes, you know, your secret recipes, which I found um, interesting because, you know, chefs are usually very proprietary of their uh, recipes. And yet here were all these chefs and restaurants that were actually providing uh, food and, and teaching people how to, how to cook those recipes. So I thought that was interesting. Carl, um, from your perspective, what did you do at Richmond Station in those early days that set the, the tone for the rest of the year? It was, it, I'll forever remember that, uh, that second week of March, um, I think like anybody in the, well, anybody around the world, uh, really, um, the Wednesday before, so that would have been maybe the 11th, I was on my way to Niagara, actually, I was driving with Hayden, our, our chef, and uh, we were going to see some orchards, some, uh, some fruit farms, and uh, my wife calls me on the phone, and she says, she was about to go to, um, to the museum, and she says to me, I just don't know if we should be going to the museum today. This seems, is this a bad idea? I don't know if we should be doing this. And I said, ah, why not? You, I'm sure you're fine. Just don't get too close to anybody. 
wash your hands, you'll be fine. What's wrong? And, uh, and it was just so quick. Everything just collapsed. Uh, the next day, what happened? Tom Hanks got sick. Uh, the NBA shut down. The pandemic was declared. Three days later, uh, we lost almost every reservation in our dining room. And uh, on, on the Monday, on the 16th, we, we closed it down. And that was the single hardest day of my entire career. Um, and yes, I'm the baby at this table, but still, uh, it, was, it, was a tough, it was a tough day. Uh, we had 68 staff um, for a little restaurant and uh, we laid everybody oh. off, including ourselves. And um, that, that, was, that was really tough. Uh, most of those staff, we haven't had the opportunity to hire back and, and who knows when we will be able to. Uh, we closed until uh, mid-June. And, and just like Donna, we, we, we weren't a takeout restaurant. We never did takeout. Um, if somebody wanted to experience Richmond Station, they'd have to see or talk to one of us. They'd have to come into the restaurant. They would be greeted by a host. They'd be spoken to by a server. Food would arrive on a plate. Um, and we did a handful of offsite events as well. Um, but we were a person-to-person -person restaurant. And fast forward now, 10 months later, our entire revenue stream is 100% disappeared if you compare uh, to what we used to see. And we are takeout and delivery only. We do virtual events. Uh, we have uh, uh, partnered in a, in a meat company and uh, Westside Beef, and, and that's a big part of our sales too now. So uh, our restaurant has completely changed. And just from a personal point of view as well, um, being being dad right now is, is a great challenge as well, um, trying to keep my kids entertained and try to keep my my wife from <laughs> pulling her hair out every day it's <laughs> it's uh it's personally it's it's a great challenge and i know everybody around the entire world is feeling this challenge in 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 their own personal way and um you know i i think that the best thing we can do often in these times is just say hey how are you no 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 not not the restaurant how how are you <laughs> how are you because previous to this um those weren't really conversations um, that we were having around this industry. Hey, how are you doing? Um, and, and like Donna said, I think there's some good things to come out of this uh, at the end of the day. And, and taking each other's personal and mental health into consideration is certainly one of them. Very good point. I think everybody's reflecting on all those important things that we've always taken for granted, unfortunately. Um, so Carl, with, with the restaurant now, you're 100% takeout right basically we we do we do takeout and delivery we're on uber skip doordash talk uh, uh, uh you name it uh we do virtual events as well that's about half of our sales right now is is uh partnerships with other restaurants but also firms and personal we we we, we have partnered with logistics companies to find out ways to uh, get hundreds of meals to uh, many different homes and places across the country or across the city at one time. And, um, and uh, like Donna said, you know, this is just an incredible amount of work. <laughs> and, and mostly because we've never done this before. And so of because of that, um, with all of these new business models, we have to do it ourselves as the owners and as the leaders of the business. It's hard to put these new initiatives onto other staff members um, when, when there is no playbook for them. And so I found that for the past year, it's been three times as much work for 
no money at the end of the day. So it's just, exactly. it's, it's more of a hobby, I guess. Yeah. So, so one of the things that um, has come to light, I suppose, with this pandemic is this whole third party aggregators and delivery. Obviously, you're still trying to feel your way through it, although you mentioned you, you know, you're dealing with um there's been a lot of um commentary on you know those companies charging high commission fees and really hurting the industry during this time what's what's your position on that and i know that you're obviously having to deal with a lot of them i know the government has stepped in recently and put some caps in place um how are you dealing with that challenge are you kind of circumventing that by having your own delivery as well or picking you know having customers pick up how are you dealing with that challenge and maybe um donna can we can we talk to you first and then we'll go around again yes absolutely i i mean i was really late to the table on third-party delivery i just you know was digging my heels in my team god bless them you know they keep me uh they keep me i, I don't know connected i guess sometimes maybe i'm a bit disconnected and um so we you know we've done all of the we've stroke docs is uh we also do curbside as well so people have the option and um you know i look at this bank statement that i get at the end of the day and uh, you know there's the credit card processing fees there are bank fees there are taxes that we collect we're now collectors of revenue for third-party deliveries we work in an industry where the margins are incredibly small and yet again we have another player coming into our space who's chipping away at the margin and and this is yes uh it's great you know and if you're doing high volume like anything you will you know you'll make that margin but um and we're competing in a completely different ocean it's a real red ocean i i say it you know, I, I, I'm, I'm competing with Harvey's. <laughs> I mean, right. This isn't something that we, someone we competed against in the past. So, you know, I, I, I have an expression, which I, I probably wouldn't say on this podcast of how I feel. These days, <laughs> you know, I'm a, uh, I, I just feel like I'm out there working for other people these days. That's what right. I'm doing. And, and they're making their profit and I am not. So I have extremely mixed feelings about it. Yeah very mixed. I'm sure it's, it's a, it's a hard, um, it's a hard thing to deal with because also during normal times, it's one thing to be paying those fees, but you know, during a pandemic when your sales are already, already so impacted, it's even more onerous. Um, Patrick, how about you in Edmonton? How are you dealing with this? Do you provide your own delivery service? <clears throat> Do you have pickup more than, than delivery? What, how are you coping? Yeah, we, um, uh, we do our own curbside and that's it. We don't work with any third-party aggregators. Yeah. And um, that was a choice that we just wanted a little bit more control. We've looked at it. We've analyzed it. We just said it's it's really not for us. Uh, and I have to say that in Alberta, we are a little bit different in that we've been able to open and close a handful of times. So in those pauses, we just put our head down and work with different initiatives. We're, we're really Joey potatoes. We're a small little restaurant and with six people in the back, I, you know, we can handle this. But I see in the community, a few people utilizing third-party aggregators to their advantage. There's a couple of small little um, 
uh, takeaway lunch spots in uh, just around the corner from me who really have benefited from the third-party aggregator delivery. They caved, they tried to do it themselves, but uh, they said at the end of the day, we're, we're, we're going to work with that. And uh, you know they've reanalyzed their, their pricing schemes. Uh, <clears throat> and another very interesting story I colleague uh, um, in Alberta, I think in Ontario as well, you can now deliver cocktails. Yes. Uh, um, so there's a little cocktail bar really been pushing the envelope. And as soon as the regulations changed, you know, he's been putting out a lot of cocktails. And uh, so the, you know, the, they, they can obviously, uh, uh, third party aggregators, uh, he envisions will be their cocktail waitress for the next little while. Right. Um, Carl, you touched on earlier that you're looking at various different companies logistically to deliver. So in addition to using those third-party delivery systems, you're looking at a different uh, way of doing this as well. Can you touch on that a little bit more? Yeah, well, so the business model for the restaurant is completely shattered. I mean, let's be honest here. Our, our sales are down by 85%. Uh, we, 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 the, the income statement looks completely different. And so... Through all of this, we, we, we did our budgets, we did our analysis and, and everything for the first few months. And then we said, uh, fuck it, let's just, let's just figure a new system out here because trying to grab onto what we knew as normal was just, we were hurting ourselves. So awesome. the way I look at it is that um, it's, it's not a great deal, but it's a hand that we can play. And uh, when it comes to third-party aggregates, um, it's 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 the cost of doing business right now. Um, and so some some companies charge higher fees than other ones. Uber is, is quite expensive, expensive mm-hmm. for example. But seventy-five uh, percent of all of the takeout deliver sorry that all of the delivery that we do is through Uber because it's a marketing platform at the same time. So, so we look at that and say it's a cost of doing yes. business. It helps us. It helps us get the word out. Uh, the more people that we can feed, the better. And it's up to us to make sure that the number at the end of the day is black and not red. And I just want to make sure that I mentioned too that I mean, our, our, we're operating at ninety percent labor. It's it just it doesn't work on a normal business. It just doesn't work but we can do it because our labor is so subsidized. Our rent is subsidized. And, and so, like I said, right. we've got a hand that we can play right now and we're going to continue to play that. I think what's going to happen is when those subsidies start to leave, start to disappear, and we're looking at the middle end of spring here, there is going to be some reckoning because a lot of businesses won't be able to uh, be able to afford to be in business without the amount of subsidies that they have. We're not making money right now that's right. But we're not losing money because of all the handouts. So uh, I think I think the the time is going to come where there's going to be some more decisions to make. So it's funny because we've heard through the last few months that you know January through March would be very difficult periods for the uh, for the industry. But you're really touching on something that's that's equally important. That it's not just January till March. It's when those subsidies start to dry out that the problems will be even more exacerbated. So, you know, when you look at the pandemic and any time we have a crisis, it, it also does spur innovation. As Patrick said, you know, there's a lot of opportunities that come out during a crisis. What, I guess, what are some innovative new approaches or ways that restaurant dining can, can exist in this new normal uh, while still protecting, obviously, your staff and restaurant goers? How do you see the industry 
um, continuing to innovate through this period, um, especially as hopefully restaurants start to reopen. We've seen meal kits, we've seen the takeout and delivery, we've seen wine being allowed to be delivered. What other ways are out there that uh, can make this industry survive and, and possibly even thrive? Anybody want to jump in on that one? <laughs> I'll, I'll go ahead. Um, the answer is uh, you have to, I think what we're going to see from here on out is restaurants that can't just be dine-in. Um, and this might be a forever change. Um, restaurants need to have a pantry that they can sell. I think that like in Alberta, for us being able to sell uh, bottles of wine, cocktails, beer um, through third parties is, is been a real life uh, saver for us. And that's not gonna go away, it looks like. So I think the, the business model mm -hmm. and what we need to do indefinitely has changed um, and probably for the better, relying on one stream of revenue is, is um, it seems a little irresponsible in hindsight. Um, so uh, virtual events, offsite events, um, finding ways to get groceries, cocktails, um, not just food on a plate uh, into people's homes uh, and bellies is, is certainly the way going forward. So more diversification really from a restaurant perspective and to change the way you're looking at yourself as a, a, a provider of food. It's not just provider of food in the restaurant. It can be various different ways. Uh, Donna, from all of your experience in the industry, do you see any other ways that the industry can evolve? Uh, well, you know, there are things out there I'm sure we haven't even considered. And, and that's the thing I love about our industry is the innovation that just pops up that you trip across at times. You know, from our perspective, we discovered, we tripped over uh, our pantry <laughs> and uh, you know we built a back-end retail site as well and, and the technology that's available out there you can do these things quickly and easily but we've discovered that our pancake mix our organic maple syrup that we you know we buy from a farm in Lanark County we buy you know hundreds of gallons of maple syrup from them we have for 25 years there's a real uh, um, interest in that from our customers our frozen ready to bake biscuits and scones are flying, uh, you know, and I, I was always reluctant to let those things go beyond the walls of the restaurant because exactly. I'm a bit of a control freak, you know. <laughs> so um, so I, I see these great opportunities uh, and, and, you know, the way I approach this pandemic, and I don't like to use the word war, but this is a war. And we're in a battle right now. The battle is the lockdown and survival. But in any battle, whether you win or you lose the battle, there are going to be fallen soldiers. And I, I think it's tragic, but when we get back to some semblance of opening up our dining rooms and, and maybe mm -hmm. reduced capacity, and then being saddled with all the debt we've incurred through these lockdowns, I think that's when we're really going to see the uh, results in our industry of, of this pandemic, and it, it will be tragic. Uh, but the tough ones will, you know, they'll see it through. So that brings into question, you know, something I wanted to ask down the road, but might as well touch on it now. When you look at independent restaurants, obviously there's always more of a challenge than a chain because, you know, you're at it alone and it's, it's a difficult slug. Um, do you think that 
pandemic has exposed, you know, some some further challenges on that. I mean, do you think independence, especially from a fine dining perspective, can can that can that fine dining perspective survive through this pandemic? Because obviously it's easy to do takeout and delivery with burgers and chicken and you know everything else, but fine dining is in a world of its own. Can fine dining survive through this? Um, Rosanna, I, I, I'd like to jump in here just because of where I started in the industry and I, I see things cycle through. I think what we're going to see with fine dining, I don't think we'll lose it, but it will definitely change. But I think it's going to go back to a celebration based experience. Uh, as it was when I started in the industry, people went out to fine dine to celebrate weddings and, and uh, proposals and birthday right. special occasions. And then we, we, you know, we crept over the years into it being part of our lifestyle that we go out three, four days a week and we might experience dining at different levels. The fine dining, you know, at the top of that pyramid, the market space is going to be small, but I, I still think it will be there. But I don't think the demand will be um, as frivolous, I guess, is the word I, that I would use. That, that's, my, that's what my intuition is telling me. That makes sense, totally. Anybody want to add to that or? Yeah, I, I, if I can. I believe, I believe that Donna's on, onto uh, the right path here and, and uh, I feel exactly the same. I don't believe it's gonna go away. It will evolve, it will, will adjust, but uh, what I'm seeing when people are re-entering the restaurant, uh, you know, we were able to open up last night, not us, we're opening tomorrow, but uh, there's a pent-up energy and uh, they are buying a little extra food. They're buying a nicer bottle of wine. They are celebrating. And a friend pointed out the other day, he said, you know, what happened after the Spanish flu? There was the roaring 20s. What happened after World War II? You know, there was a real boom economically. I think things will open up. There will be a, a, there will be a, a really strong... Uh, appreciation for what we have, and we will have that role. They have a lot of birthdays, a lot of special occasions to follow up on. I, I think that's going to be a, a nice re-emerging when we find that uh, that goalpost. I, I also feel that the independents are uh, are poised for great success. We have we were a little bit of a sport car. We can we can try things. We can experiment, and uh, we don't have uh, you know. Uh, somebody in Markham, Ontario, telling us that we have to have it price point this way. We can really play around. And I also believe that Carl and, 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 and many other younger chefs are, we are so into collaborations and partnerships that grow that community that is really integral in uh, raising the flag of fine dining or of any dining uh, in any city that you are. So we are, uh, are, are leading a culinary call and I think there will always be a, a place for that, specifically led by independent restaurants. So I believe there's a, there's a real place. Yes, there's gonna be some blood in the water and some attrition, uh, but I, I also would like to point out that I think now more than ever, it's very, very important that we return to our fundamentals. Uh, it's common sense, but you've got to have an idea and a plan of where you're going. It may change every day, but if you have no idea where where your uh, uh, where your prime cost is, or what your what you, how you're going to track yourself to see if you're either in the black mm -hmm. or the red, um, you will fail in this environment. Uh, with uh, you know ten dollars that uh, that we bring in, uh, it all gets spent into our communities, but we only retain, if we're lucky, fifty cents of that. 
Um, and and I, I agree with Carl uh, very much in that um, uh, uh, the diversification of what we do uh, you know, we're going to have, we're going to build out our kitchens differently. We're going to build out our rooms differently. And we're going to have food production from, you know, listen to our customers. I can't believe how many people want our vinaigrette. And I can't believe that we're not bottling it yet. Well, it's all about opportunity, as you mentioned earlier, Patrick. So I think the last year has also exposed a lot of um, issues that have been burning in the industry for a long time. And I think this kind of pause has really made everybody reflect on what could be better. I know there was a lot of talk early in the days, you know, that we needed to uh, save hospitality, you know, that everybody had to work together to save restaurants and, and groups arose during that time saying, no, we didn't necessarily want to save it. We wanted to change hospitality. How do you think the industry can further change to be a better industry? And Carl, you touched on a few things that your restaurant's doing differently. For example, the no tipping. Um, there, there's a lot of aspects, obviously, minimum wage, the long hours, all of that. How do you think the industry can improve through this time to emerge as a better and stronger industry? What a great question. <laughs> it's loaded. I know it's loaded, but you know what? These are issues that we are dealing with as an industry, and I think we will have to deal even more so in the future. So take it away, Carl. Well, I, I just, um, this is always going to be a very polarizing question because there are um, a lot of people on one side of this coin saying, why do we need to change? It's so hard as it is. And there's, a, you know, there's enough people on the other side saying, um, what about all these systems that are broken? I look at the fact that um, there is enormous amount of pay inequity in our restaurant business. I look at the fact that restaurants specifically are an enormous contributor to the amount of carbon in the atmosphere and climate change. Uh, I look at the fact that um, it's a very few number of people in this business that can, at the end of the day, retire because this is a career. And I think all these things are systematic flaws in our business. And so I'm gonna be on the side that says, yeah, it's time for change. And what I see with this with this, this past year is that we have the opportunity to press that really big reset button. How many times in the life of your restaurant and the life of your business are we able to start at day one again. And we've been starting at day one again for the past 10 months repeatedly. And so I look at all these opportunities and I say, well, why, why are we going back to the same harmful abusive systems that we already know don't work for everybody? Why don't we start by pressing that button and saying, why don't we just run the business that we know we want to run? And so for us, we looked at things like pay inequity and things like, man, it's just really hard to promote our best staff into management when they're making hand over fist an enormous amount of money cash every day. Mm -hmm. What's the incentive to, to grow? And what's the incentive to treat this as a career um, when you don't have to? And at the end of the day, we realized that it was just really difficult to explain the benefits of insured income um, to an enormous amount of our, of our team, not just our front of house staff, but our cooks as well that received a good portion of the tips. 
And um, that conversation was really difficult last year. Uh, that conversation was really difficult five years ago, but now it's really easy. When, when an enormous amount of our industry is looking down the barrel at indefinite unemployment, mm -hmm. because who knows when restaurants are gonna be able to hire the amount of staff that they used to have. And all of these staff, if they're not covered by some sort of government program, is not going to pay their bill, uh, their, their bills to live because their earnings were not insured before. They're, they have no benefits. And so, and just, <laughs> who pays with cash anymore? Nobody pays with cash anymore. Not I mean, anymore. Not, and and maybe, maybe I'm biased here because we're in the financial district at Richmond Station, but I think 5% of the revenue that we get is in cash. But every, every week we would have gone to the bank and pulled out ten, fifteen thousand dollars and left it on the table and said, "Not my money, that's yours." But it's not income; it's it's yours. But it's not wages. But we pay right. you less than minimum wage. But it's not ours. You guys can do with what you want, but don't pay taxes on it or do. I don't. <laughs> this is broken and it's illegal. I mean, it's what's going on here. So, yeah, I mean, we we we. I, this is a great time for change and. Uh, the more people that are going to lead the change, uh, the better, because there are no playbook. There's no playbook for a lot of these changes that need to happen. And, and the leaders in the business need to figure out how to write that playbook for, for people that, um, that need it. And, um, and just a second on climate change too, I think that uh, the amount of waste that we produce as a restaurant, the amount of food that we buy that is uh, uh, produced in ways that are harmful, um, the, the, the soil that is being degraded, uh, just destroyed around the world because we need to buy cheap food. This, these are all serious issues. And um, now is the time to look at these systems and say, mm, I can make that change. And I think that we all have that responsibility right now. So with the whole tipping issue, a lot of people have said that unless the industry, you know, is um, is united on this front and everybody changes, it won't really happen, you know, successfully. Do you, do you uh, three believe that? It, does, does the industry have to weigh on on this as an industry to say, let's eliminate tipping? Because doing it piecemeal, like Carl, you know, you've done it and some others have, do, have done it. Some employees will still move to restaurants that provide tipping because it makes more sense for them economically. How do we move forward on that issue? Uh, Rosanna, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to share some of our experience and Patrick uh, can weigh in on this as well, because we both served at Restaurants Canada as, as chairs mm -hmm. and, and for many years as well. And I remember that we call it the tipping issue. We have brought this to forward to industry so many times over the years. And we're always, anytime we survey restaurants across the country, the, the greatest response we get is if it's on a tipping survey, because the, we are divided right down the middle on this. And I think that the, the one thing that's gonna get everybody to that place where we reset, and it's something that you've all touched on, and that is leadership. And it doesn't matter at the end of the day, whether you are the prime minister of the country or you are running your little restaurant with six employees, you have a role and a responsibility now that is going to set the tone for how our industry moves forward. 
And can we all do it together as one united front? I don't think so, not on the tipping issue. However, you have uh, someone like Carl, who I, I just applaud you, Carl. Uh, and we actually, you know, we have not eliminated tipping, but we call it democratized tipping in our restaurant. Uh, and it was tough and we did it during the pandemic. We lost employees. Uh, we saw the same thing going to the bank and cashing checks for $10,000, $15,000 that if I were any other industry in the world, uh, whether making cars or, or mining for precious metals, they would shake their heads and say, what kind of business are you guys running? Uh, so, you know, I think the cracks are there and we all have that responsibility to push those cracks and open them up. The one thing that I think we, we could do a better job on is educating our workers, those teams that we lead about the roots and the history of tip tipping. And if you go back and really open up that box, that Pandora mm -hmm. box, you're gonna find this is the time. This is the time to make the change on tipping just by, just by that education piece. So yeah, we, have, we do have work to do in our industry. We've made a lot of progress in the last 10, 15 years, but we're, you know, we need to steamroll ahead with a lot of, a lot of things to make us a better industry. And I believe that we have the right, the right leadership at some of the older established restaurants and then with a lot of the young operators like Carl who are, you know, bold and brazen and are just gonna go out there and do it. And I, I'm incredibly proud. <laughs> and it's time, it really is time. Yeah. So you touched on leadership and that's a theme that comes up throughout our conversation today and, and in other conversations I've had. How has your own leadership style, how has that had to evolve through the pandemic? Has it changed dramatically? Uh, what being a leader means to you during this really, really tough health crisis we've been experiencing? Um, Patrick, maybe you can start that. Yes, um, you know, I just like to, one little point on the tipping and I apologize, but it, it was just coming to my mind that 15, what, what industry in the world uh, allows 15% of its revenue to be controlled by someone else? And, uh, you know, we, we, this, this is absolutely the right time to, uh, to, to bust that model wide open. There's so many advantages uh, to create a career uh, rather than just a transient uh, group. Now, on leadership, uh, without a doubt, uh, it's been uh, exhausting and draining. And I've learned an awful lot about myself. I've learned how uh, I need to uh, bite my tongue a little bit, allow a little bit more rope to certain individuals, and uh, listen with a little bit of a, a, a finer ear. Um, communication uh, has been one of my strengths. And yet in this pandemic, I've realized it's uh, 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 I'm not uh, walking fast enough in many cases. So without a doubt, you know, people are looking um, uh, to us. Um, that's mom and dad, the head of the restaurants, that is. Uh, but uh, the, my, our leadership has never been tested more than ever right now. And, uh, you know, um, it, just like this conversation, within our four walls, we're throwing ideas all over the place just to see what's going to work. And I think good leadership will we'll distill that down and to move it to some sort of creativity. And I think also the leadership, my leadership skills also, if, if I do possess any, uh, it's uh, being able to uh, get people to assist me in areas that I don't 
understand. And there's a lot of them. And uh, particularly from a technological perspective, generational yeah. problem, right, Donna? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, we have to call the 20 year olds in for that technology part of the puzzle. Um, Carl, how has your leadership style changed through the pandemic? <laughs> well, um, it's the communication is king right now. Uh, and it, it always has been the best, the best leaders are the best communicators. And when you when you grow into a management role, no matter what business you're in, it you you switch from, okay, I can do it myself to, okay, I can get other people to do this better than I could. And that's, that to me is leadership. Right now, it's an interesting situation, this pandemic, because we're doing so many things that we've never done before as a business. I'm doing so many things I've never done before personally. There are a lot of spreadsheets because with all of these new ideas, we don't know if they're going to work and maybe they look good on paper, <laughs> but we don't, we don't know. Um, and at the same time, I find that a lot of the leadership right now is not necessarily about business. It's about, um, it's about making sure that everybody's in a good spot. How are you? How are you doing? No, actually, how are you doing? How's your mom? How are your kids? Yeah. How is it going when you're walking to work? What books are you reading? What books are you listening to? That's also good leadership. Um, so it's, it's, it's really, you know, the food on the plate or the food that goes into the bag has always been you have to do that from a business point of view and you have to trust that the, the people in your business are going to do a good job with that and and there's leadership to make sure that you communicate yourself you communicate properly so that everybody knows what role they have to play there but it, it's more than just checking the boxes it in it in it that's been a big lesson for me because um i've always been very driven and making sure you know excellence excellence um but you're not going to get to excellent and you're not going to get to um, our, your staff being in, enjoying themselves fully if they, if they, it's a, it's an emotional business and um, you have to, the boxes are harder to check when, when you're dealing with emotions. For sure. Very well said. Donna, how about you? You've been in the industry a long time, your leadership style, what's it like today compared? I mean, how has the pandemic forced you to be different? Well, I, I mean, I, oh gosh, you know, where to start? I think because I was a little more removed from the business and now I'm back in, I've, I've been reminded of the, necess the necessity of strong leadership. You know, that four corner walk that you do every day when you walk into your business, you, you touch it in with the dishwasher and how's it going there? And, you know this person has a grandmother in long-term care. You know that the person answering the phone, you, you, that empathy has to really come forward. But I think the thing that, that strikes me is the, the role as leader, as mentors to the next leaders that are coming up and to encourage and, and show, you gotta be strong. You know, people need to rely on you. They need to feel like there's hope. Mm -hmm. and, and especially with the young leaders that are coming up and encouraging them and, and working with them to, you know, cheer them on. Uh, I would hate to, to leave this industry or look back on this industry after things have settled down from whatever we land on after this pandemic and look at my own leadership and say, did I really do everything I could in my power to 
save my industry, to save the people that work with me, to you know, ensure that we came out better. And if we all took that approach, I think we would just we would achieve remarkable things, remarkable things. Wonderful. Well, thank you for sharing that. And um, as a way to wrap up our interview, I guess the last question I wanted to ask is, what have been some of the biggest lessons for you during this pandemic? I think um, all of us have gained at least one or two things that we've learned along the way. What has that looked like for you? Um, maybe Patrick, we can start there. I would say for me, right out of the shoot, the biggest lesson that I learned was how strong our community really is. As soon as we were shut down, our phones lit up with other restaurateurs saying, how are you doing? Checking in with each other, learning from each other. And it remains today. Uh, I've never seen such collaboration amongst leaders in the industry ever before. It's, it has been a time of disruption, but I, I'm very positive as we look forward that the tree is solid and we are going to have such great things occur out of this. Yes, the soup is being stirred really quickly right now, but I, I'm really bolstered by sense of uh, uh, cooperation that I'm that I'm seeing and hearing. And uh, you know, we hate to see our some of our colleagues fall off the train. Uh, it's happening, uh, but uh, they will reemerge. They will be they're they're a chrysalis ready to open somewhere down the line. We're we're not rid of of that talent for sure. Well, that's reassuring to hear. Um, Donna, how about from, from your perspective? Well, you know, having worked in the industry for so long, I think we forget about our place in society. Uh, you know, we, we, we think, well, do we really need restaurants at the end of the day? How important is, is are we that necessary? And the one thing that I hear from, from our guests over and over and anybody I talk to, family, friends, I've learned that I can live without a lot through this pandemic, but boy, I can't live without restaurants. Now, restaurants could mean many thing, different things to many people, but it, it, the essence of it is that genuine hospitality, genuine care, the ability to get together, and it comes back to Patrick's comment, it's about community. So, you know, that, that human factor had to it's a great reminder to me of you know why we do what we do and why we get up every day and work as hard as we do for very little return but um yeah it's right here it's right here i think that's a really really good point because i think the pandemic has made us all realize how important restaurants are to our lives but also to the community right i mean we've seen an outpouring of love and emotion for restaurants from consumers in, in terms of how they could support restaurants during this terrible time. And, uh, and, and Donna, I agree. I mean, I miss restaurants so much and can't wait to get back to them, but uh, that's a great lesson. Carl, how about from your end? It's been a great year of learning uh, for everybody. And for me personally, I've really just enjoyed the amount of family time that I've had in the past year. Um, like I said, I've got, I've got two young kids at home and those first few weeks uh, last March were hard from a business point of view, but they were really lovely from a family point of view. And after a few more weeks and, a, and another month of, of that family time, I realized that that was time that 
was really well spent for me was being home with my family and time that I wouldn't be able to get back and and going forward I needed to make more of a priority of that in my life and if I can do that for myself it's not really fair that I do it but not allow that for my team at the same time and we made a change in our restaurant and said okay nobody's working more than 44 hours a week doesn't matter what position you're in doesn't matter if you're the head chef you need life balance and you need to spend time with your family and so that's been a great lesson for me and it's going to be a hard one to figure out the business model for <laughs> because <laughs> the business model is is for most restaurants based on uh, a lot of hours at little pay um, but you get to enough money made because you work a lot of hours and what we're trying to say now is no you should have some life balance and we're going to figure out a way that you get compensated well for it so uh, lessons are still to be learned um, because we're living in a, a fairy tale land right now um, but uh, I'll never be upset about the time that I've had with my with my family in the past year well, that's a great lesson. And I have to say, I've heard that from a lot of chefs over the last year, where they have really enjoyed having that quality time with family. And, and I think that's a good way to open the eyes, right? And say that, you know, moving forward, this is something that needs to be fixed so that people can enjoy that balance, as you said, Carl. So, so well said. Obviously, we could go on on this subject for forever, but our time has run out. And I, um, I wanted to, again, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules with everything that's going on. And I think um, we all agree that independents are uh, such an important part of this industry because that's where a lot of creativity and innovation comes out of. So I hope that over the next few months as the industry rebounds, that the independent segment will continue to thrive and, and, and do wonderful things. So good luck to you all in that quest. And Donna, maybe you can still work on that exit strategy. And, uh, and get there soon. I know you've done such a wonderful job for all these years. So thank you for all, all your contributions. And uh, again, thank you for, for sharing your time and your insights with us today. Um, and above all, stay safe. Thanks for your Thank you. Thank you very much. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of the Table Talk Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love for you to rate and review our show. Also, make sure you never miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button. For additional resources related to today's episode, please visit our website, foodserviceandhospitality.com. Until next time.